0: Do.
1: Deception. The CEO of Bondov Technologies, Jermit McDermott, sat in his office looking at some reports with grave concern. His second-in-command, the chief operating officer, Bob Schwartz, sat before him anxiously. Every test, said Schwartz, has produced a similar fail rate, sir. How the hell can we make our launch date with these results? We can't. Jerma threw the reports on the table in anger and in disgust. It's clearly sabotage. Our systems are beyond breach, sir. Somewhere, somehow, we've been infiltrated. Find out. Turlock loitered at a street corner, hands in pockets. Two girls emerged out of an alleyway. They looked like a pair of hookers, but they happened to be some supremely talented computer technologist. They handed him a package. Then Cleona and Siobhan quickly skipped away. Turlock looked around to make sure the coast was clear, and then swiftly jumped in his car. But across the street a group of shady looking characters watched him from a beat up old van. That's him? said Jimmy. That's the scumbag who's been hawking us fools gold. Sergeant Crowley sweated profusely as he tried to look at the pale body of Peter. Shall I cover him up? asked Dr. Winterman. Please do said Crowley seems he was out all hours running around the woods fatigue hypothermia alcohol gallivanting with other women take your pick nothing suspicious asked Crowley before Winterman could answer Deirdre burst in the door who let that awful woman in snapped the doctor deirdre pushed past dr winterman and ran over to the corpse she pulled off the blanket she looked at peter without showing any emotion for the young man she had fooled around with the night before she pointed at the neck what are those love bites said dr winterman i'm reliably informed he got some action last night deirdre threw a bitter glance at dr winterman she walked up to sergeant crowley and almost spat in his face. What kind of useless excuse for a policeman are you? Sergeant Crowley backed away timidly. She then studied the ever so cool doctor Winterman once more, throwing him another fierce look. She pulled something from a bag. It was a stake, and she pointed it at his face. Sergeant Crowley looked on aghast. When he saw the awfulness of the medieval weapon, he backed away further. What are you? laughed Dr. Winterman. Spawn of Peter Cushing. I'm game doctor dearest, she said. Is she? Maybe you should go to the video store and rent a hammer horror, said Dr. Winterman, and let the rest of us get on with life in the real world. Deirdre smiled wickedly and turned towards the door. The doctor turned towards the sergeant as if to say, You really ought to run these clowns out of town. But the only thing going on inside the young guard's head was some planning for his own exit strategy. Crowley let a few moments pass. Then he left too, looking ever so sickly. When they had both departed, Winterman pulled his own stake out of his white coat. As he did so, he muttered to himself and imitated Deirdre, I'm game, is she. But when he turned around, There was no corpse on the table. Great, that is just bloody great. He looked around, he looked everywhere, but there was no sign of the corpse. Peter, where the hell are you? Virus. In the quiet and peace of his office, Perlop gleefully inserted a disc into his computer. He heard a wee noise behind him. He quickly turned around, but he saw no one. Who's there? There was no answer. He turned his attention to his monitor again and smiled with glee when he saw lines and lines of code display on the screen. My little fairy changelings are good. Very good. Jermot studied a printout of pages and pages of mesmerizing computer code. It's like nothing we ever seen before, said Bob Schwartz. Smart code with the ability to conceal itself. Where did it come from? That's the most baffling part of all, sir. Two of our most reliable programmers. Schwartz pulled up two photos of the fairy girls on a monitor with some background information beneath their profiles. Interesting, said Jermut. The thing is they each have an impeccable record, as honest as the day is long. Well, it's been a very long day. It just does not make sense, continued Swartz. Up to now, they've always been so consistently consistent. You can say that again. God knows I've hit on them often enough, and the answer has always been the same. Jermit MacJermita was known for two things, his brilliant software products and his office conquests. He had a vociferous appetite for both innovation and young internet lovelies. Such was his skill that he could make both software and the fairest sex bend to his every want. Every once in a while he came across a troublesome piece of code, but he kept at it until it eventually submitted to his will. The ladies he found were much easier than computer code. They all dreamed of nabbing the successful internet billionaire, but Cleon and Chavon were different. It was all work and no play with those two. Later that night Jermit MacDiarmida shared a hot tub in his luxurious home with his two programmers. They all drank champagne and Jermit raised his glass. To my killer op and my killer babes. The two fairy maidens gently moved over to him and he grabbed one in each arm as they frolicked about in the suds. I couldn't have done it without my two best programmers ever. You've always been consistently consistent in everything you've done. We are firm believers in the laws of consistency, laughed Siobhan. They each stroked his chest and kissed him playfully. (laughs) Perfect programmers and perfect lovers, said Jermit. They kissed him more. Long, passionate kisses. They were easy. He enjoyed another drink of champagne. Except you've never been my lovers. You've changed. Changed overnight. The two fairy maidens moved away as he looked at them coldly. Deceptive in code, he said, and deceptive in love. It was empty now inside the Otherworld Technologies building, except for the lone man in his office greedily savouring the stolen code. Now I'll crush you, Jermot. Crush you, laughed Turlock. But behind Turlock some shadows began to creep. You thieving scumbag. first blow dazed him. He still had enough presence of mind to turn around and see Jimmy the pawnbroker and his bunch of heavies. Before Turlock could as much as gasp, Jimmy swung a hurley stick and connected with his head. He continued to beat the living daylights out of Turlock while the group of thugs set about smashing every computer in the office. It was well into the early hours of the morning before Turlock recovered from his unconscious state. He pulled himself to his feet and looked around to see every computer and storage unit destroyed. He staggered out of his office, black and blue, in a disoriented state. A flashy car quickly drove up the street and pulled in front of him. Jermud MacJermitess stepped out. He laughed when he saw the sight of Thurlock. What happened? The VC guys beat you up? Thurlock remained silent, his jaw too swollen to speak. Jermud handed him a disc. I thought you might want this, said Jermud. Thurlock looked at him blankly. It's the virus your infiltrators wrote. It's very good. Shame you don't have the talent to create something useful for once in your life. Jermith's sleek car pulled away, kicking up dust, while Thurlock stood all alone on the side of the street, sporting blackened eyes and an even greater blackened soul.